Welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, a wrestling history podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode 97, featuring my much-promised and long-awaited conversation with Dave LaGreca of Busted Open Radio. We'll get to that in just a moment. want to just this week do a couple of quick plugs here. Hope everybody is enjoying the Holiday season, hope you had a great Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, all on the way. Hope you're spending it with family and friends and having a great time. In the meantime, if you happen to be looking for some presents to buy, far be it from me to suggest Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, or even my newest book, Superheroes. They both make great gifts. Find them wherever books are sold. Also. I want to mention the two magazines that I write for because I've got some exciting pieces in those magazines in the newest issues. Actually, I just received in the mail, so I'm kind of pumped up about it. I just got the March 2024 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated that I have been talking about recently. I'm holding it in my hands right now. It's got Tony Storm on the cover, and it is my cover story. And, you know, I haven't had a ton of cover stories over the years for PWI and its family of magazines, and that's not a knock on them. We just have a very, very talented group of writers and contributors, but this is maybe the seventh or eighth cover that I have had, and it always, always gives me a thrill. This interview was a lot of fun to do. We did it completely in character, and Tony's character, for my money, is one of the best in wrestling right now, so you might want to pick that up. Also, on the inside, I have my columns on L.A. Knight and a very relevant for this listenership column on the Von Erich family to tie in with the Iron Claw movie that is coming out this month. Also, the upcoming 40th anniversary, believe it or not, of the David Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. And the column also has a couple of great photos by Craig Peters and Stanley Weston, some of the luminaries of the past in the Weston slash Aptor family of magazines. So do pick that up if you get a chance. You can get it at Barnes & Noble, Stop & Shop. I think um, Walmart carries it, but also pwi-online.com. Also, in the latest issue of Inside the Ropes magazine, issue number 39 with L.A. Knight on the cover, you will find my article on the 40th anniversary of Starcade. Also some great photos in there. I know in the opening spread, there's a great shot from the steel cage match between Ric Flair and Harley Race from the first Starcade, which, as some people may know, is my personal favorite wrestling match of all time, in spite of the presence of Gene Kaniski as the referee. So you might want to pick that up. Inside the Ropes magazine, issue number 39. Get it at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com. And also, I believe, in the United States or possibly Canada as well. It is still carried at Barnes & Noble. So you could get it there, but I think they're usually about a month behind. Having said that, and this ties into my guest, if I backtrack for a moment, because as well in the new issue of PWI and the Tony Storm issue, there is a column a special guest column by Dave LaGreca, my guest this week, talking about the importance of tag teams in wrestling, which is just another reason to pick up that uh, particular issue, a special guest column by Dave LaGreca. And now tying into that, Dave LaGreca on Shut Up and Wrestle. So this is something I wanted to make happen for a while. As you'll hear in this interview, we met recently at the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame inductions in August. 
and um I finally was able to to bring him to the show and bring his unique insights as many of you know who listen to Busted Open on a daily basis. Dave is not somebody who is going to be afraid of sharing his opinions on professional wrestling and he was more than happy to do that with me for this week's conversation and I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so today it is my distinct honor to welcome someone to Shut Up and Wrestle who is one of the premier figures in wrestling media today. He's the creator and he's been the producer and host of Busted Open on Sirius XM for almost 15 years now. Um, The only live daily pro wrestling talk show in existence. He's been involved with satellite radio and broadcasting for way more than that. And um, he typically has the dawning task of having to wrangle... Bully Ray, Mark Henry, and Tommy Dreamer. So I'm sure today he is very relieved that he's only going to be dealing with me. I'm talking about the one and only New Jersey's own Dave LaGreca. Dave, thanks so much for being a guest on Shut Up and Wrestle. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I, I uh, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we had first met each other in person at the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame and you know, I think we kind of knew a lot of the same people and we were friends online, but it was nice to actually meet you in person, you know, being kind of like a, a New York, New Jersey super fan of of similar age. It's always good to connect. Yeah, it was great. And that weekend was awesome. You know, great seeing you and great seeing Bill Apter. And it, I, I always appreciate those moments and those things. So that was a really great honor that weekend. And just, you know, just you know, as a longtime fan, getting to meet, you know, somebody like Greg Gagne, I've 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 interviewed him before, but I never met him face to face. So, you know, those moments aren't lost on me. So I had a really great time in Albany. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I was actually at the table uh, next to Greg when we were doing kind of like the book signings and all that stuff. So I, I got to spend a lot of time with him and just picking his brain and stuff. He's I'm and I'm, I'm trying to get him to come on here, but. I mean, fascinating guy, just stories that even things that you wouldn't even think about, just insights into the business and the things that he saw and and did. Interesting guy. Him and his dad, obviously, the AWA, it's all about the Ganya family. So it was very, very cool. And it was like I said, it was great meeting you, too. Yeah, well, thank you. And and I know, um, you know, Busted Open, like I said at the beginning of the show, you've been doing it a really long time now, but you were you were already at Sirius XM but way before Busted Open even happened, right? Yeah, I started at Sirius XM in 2004 and Busted Open was uh, started in 2009. So I spent a lot of time working on the NFL channel um, at Sirius XM. I worked there, actually overlapped with Busted Open. A total of 13 years I worked with the NFL. Uh, but now because of the popularity of pro wrestling and obviously the popularity of busted open. That's my gig. It's my full-time job. I'm strictly just busted open and wrestling. And it's been that way now for over five years. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, I think like 2017 or so. Yep. 2017 is when we went five days a week. Um, and since then that's just been my, my complete focus has been on busted open. And it's crazy to me because I remember when the show started and you know, for me, it was like this curiosity because I'm old enough. I know you are to remember the days of the wrestling radio shows, like the call-in shows. Like, I don't know if you ever were a listener to the one they used to have on WFAN, the one that yep. would, it was like the middle of the night on Saturday night, right? Jody McDonald. Jody yes. McDonald. Yep. That's right. I used to have a, a like a tape deck radio where you could actually set it to record and I would record the show like on audio cassette if I couldn't stay up. Other times I'd be up. I'd be in my bed with like a my Walkman at whatever it was, two in the morning, just desperately trying to stay awake. Because this was like, I don't know, when I was listening to it, it was early 90s and there was no internet. Um, I didn't know anything about wrestling newsletters yet. So I think like that show in particular was the beginning of me even understanding what being smart meant or anything from behind the scenes. Like they would tell you what the main event was going to be at WrestleMania, like nine months out or who was going to win. I mean, it was yeah. you know, blowing me away. That and the, and the slammer, 
you know, the uh, the uh, article in the in the paper, the slammer, like those were the two, like for me, that was like the first time I was like, oh, wow. So there's this whole culture where it's not just what I see on TV. There's actually these things that wasn't like a pro wrestling illustrated or a wrestler inside wrestling, which at that time was strictly storyline and in character of what was going on. This was something completely on the outside of that. So yeah, that was, that was the true beginnings and obviously a foundation for what I wanted to do. Um, because when I started at Sirius, um, there wasn't anything like this. And I know that they had tried it and it just didn't stick. But with everything that Sirius XM had to offer and all the different channels and all the different sports, there was nothing for pro wrestling. So I really pushed uh, for this show to happen. And thankfully they gave me and Doug Mortman at the time the opportunity for one hour once a week. And then now we're live six hours. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, three hours, six days a week. So yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how much it grew. Yeah, that's what got me too. Like I said, even in the beginning, I thought it was like a kind of a curiosity because I didn't think, you know, that I don't know. I, I I mean, no offense. I mean, I'm sure you heard this from other people, but I didn't think it would last. Not because I, I, I thought it wasn't good, but just because I thought like there's no way they're going to have faith in this, like a you know a, a wrestling radio show, especially in the midst of I, it. It was so different from what else was on what they were doing on Sirius XM that, I mean, I guess I'm assuming that once they started realizing it was connecting with a lot of people, that it was something that was, you know, going to, they were going to have confidence in. It took a long time for that to happen because every, <laughs> everything that you're talking about and your doubts were what the executives at Sirius XM felt as well. There was people that had no confidence in this show at all. Didn't give it any kind of thought, didn't put anything into it. But there was a small portion of people that did. And I thank those people that were behind this show because they had faith in it. They kept it going long enough for SiriusXM to finally open their eyes and realize that this was viable. And now it's the the number one sports show on SiriusXM. Like we're bigger than any baseball, football, NBA show. Uh, and I think, and that's all because of the the busted open nation and the fans. The one thing how I got this show on the air to begin with is that the wrestling fans are extremely hardcore. And I knew that if you gave them an outlet to listen to, that they would listen and they would connect with it. And that's exactly what would happen. Because, Brian, you know, you could get anywhere uh, conversation and shows about baseball, about football, about basketball. But we were pre um, we were pre uh, like podcasting. So there was no outlet for pro wrestling. So I knew that if given the opportunity, the show would grow. And thankfully it did. And I think part of why it works, obviously, too, is, you know, and I don't know how I don't know the story of how you fell into it or what happened. But having somebody that is obviously a fan, is a passionate fan, that's clear and has been a fan a really long time, you know, knows what what you're talking about, you know, because you talk about it all the time on the show. Obviously, it gives the show you know, more credibility than if it was just a bunch of wrestlers with like a straight man radio guy. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what it is. No, that was the plan. Like, at first, it was just myself and Doug Mormon that were just two fans. Uh, but then I knew that I had to take the show to the next level. and We had to progress. And that's when Bully became a part of it. Mark became a part of it. Then Tommy. And now we also have Mickey James and Thunder Rosa. So we try to cover kind of every aspect of the pro wrestling world. Uh, but it's the fan talking to the wrestler and the wrestler's perspective of this business is completely different than the fans perspective of this business. So that's a lot of times where we'll butt heads and we'll scream and we'll yell. And there's still the respect there, but the way that's the dynamic, it's the, it's the fan and the wrestler. And I think that, you know, busted open was pretty, original when it came to that plan i don't think there was really anything else that had that same kind of game plan the way that we did and i think that the interplay really helps because you know like you said you're talking to i'm specifically thinking of tommy and bully ray like they're new york guys you're a new york area guy you know 
that you can you can butt heads and you can be argumentative or abrasive because that and that's just what we do. I, that's you know, our I, say, I say this that's to Brian nature. Last too all the time, who does you know he, he does the show with Jim Cornette, and he's the show is on their network, Arcadian Vanguard, and I think a lot of times that's why they get misconstrued. It's just this is and Jim Cornette to me is like the Southern version of like a New York guy. He's just gonna let you know what he thinks, and he doesn't care about the you know how how, how you feel about. It. He's just gonna shoot from the hip. And I think those are the best kinds of dynamics and you guys have it because you can give each other shit and you can complain or criticize and it's not going to be something that's taken personally or it's not going to take the show down. Yeah. And then you mentioned Brian last and I have never had the opportunity to talk to him. I've never met him. Um, But if I did, I would say I would give him, you know, a lot of credit for what he does with Jim Cornette, the Jim Cornette's podcast is as you know extremely popular and a lot of that has to do with brian because he knows how to own yes. jim Cornette, keep him focused knows the right things to say and he'll go back at him a little bit like i said i never had the opportunity to meet him but i really would love to meet brian um because i think he does a i think he does a phenomenal job but yeah it's that dynamic like new york people from the east coast new york new jersey's we get the we get the reputation of being jerks because basically we come across that way. That's the way we come across. We don't mean it. That's just in our nature. That's the way it is. And it's very argumentative. It's very confrontational. We don't back away from confrontation. Uh, I think that's just the way. It, and even with me, you know, Brian, like, and you do a great job and you're a New York guy. I'm a Jersey guy. And I take a lot of pride in being a Jersey guy. When you're a Jersey guy, you're confrontational as well because you're like the uh, bastard stepson of New York. Like, you know, everybody says New Jersey's in the shadows of New York city. Like I grew up go, I didn't grow up going to Madison square garden. I grew up going to the Meadowlands and uh, to me that I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I love being from New Jersey. I still live in New Jersey. I take a lot of pride in New Jersey, and I take a lot of pride in the wrestling uh, from New Jersey as well. Yeah, I um I used to get out to the Meadowlands um they, back when they called it the Brendan Byrne Arena, and then later it had other names. Uh, but I used to get out there occasionally. I was more Madison Square Garden, Nassau Coliseum. That would be yes. it was a little easier for me. But but now and then, depending like if for whatever reason, if they weren't if that was the show that was there and the card was good, I would make the trip. Yeah, and, and and for me, uh, the Meadowlands, and it's different now because obviously the Brendan Byrne Arena, the IZOD Center, the Continental Airlines Arena, or the Meadowlands Arena, whatever name it had, <laughs> right. which I think kind of hurts the legacy of that arena too because it would it would change names every few years. To me, going to see wrestling there was much bigger and better than going to Madison Square Garden. And I know on the surface that sounds crazy because Madison Square Garden's the mecca. But for decades, it was only the WWF slash WWE that would run shows at Madison Square Garden. I know they had a New Japan show there a few years back. Yeah, that uh, was very recently. Though, yeah, yeah, that's recent. But for decades, it was the WWF slash WWF slash WWE. The, the Meadowlands didn't have that. The Meadowlands had the WWF, but it also had... The NWA had the AWA. We had those pro wrestling USA shows. So I could see a Hulk Hogan going up against the big John stud for the WWF championship. But I would also go and see Harley race and Ric Flair for the NWA championship. And then see Stan Hansen and Rick Martel for the AWA world championship. You couldn't have that at Madison square garden. So that's why I love that Meadowlands arena so much. And it's, it's kind of a, a legacy that over time has been completely forgotten about. Yeah, that's very true. I, I didn't get a chance to do any of that. And I wish I had because I I didn't really get by the time I really got into it. Um, it was towards the end of the 80s. And because you hear about a lot of those pro wrestling USA cards. And didn't they have they had the bunkhouse stampede there. Well, they had they had they had, uh, they had um, Night of Champions, which was a strictly just a Georgia Championship Wrestling NWA show. <laughs> they had those Pro Wrestling USA shows that you're talking about, which was the NWA and the AWA combined putting on shows. 
And then later on, WCW would run at the Meadowlands as well. So it was it was really like the entire world of pro wrestling ran through that building. When did you start going there? Uh, 83. Okay, because I was the reason I asked is because they that place opened with Bruno San Martino's retirement match, as I'm sure you know. That would have been, yeah, I guess, 80, like two years before. Yep, it opened up late 81 in the, in the Bruno's final match, like you said, against George Animal Steel. That was the first pro wrestling card uh, at the Meadowlands at the time. That was, like you said, 81, and I started going. My first show was early uh, 1983. Okay, so that's still like the tail end of the Backland uh, era. Yes, yep. Do you remember what the... Hokumania hit. Yeah, see, I would. That's the weird thing is, I I feel like I was a late bloomer. I I was around then. I was a kid then. Like I could have gone to those shows, but I wasn't really into it. I I didn't get into it until the whole explosion. You know, Hulkamania and Andre the Giant. I mean, you know, I was I was very typical. I wasn't. You know, I would hear from some of my older friends and things, and they would tell me about you know the stuff from then. But for some reason, I I, I wasn't that into it at the time and and i kind of missed out i think i would have loved to have seen some of that stuff no i i i totally agree and and you mentioned hulkamania one of hogan's first ever title defenses after he beat the iron Sheik was at the meadowlands i was there against dr d david schultz and that was obviously before the john stossel incident on 2020 uh but i still have all my old programs like all the programs and that's kind of a dinosaur now. They don't have programs anymore, but I still have all my WWF programs and my Pro Wrestling USA programs from, you know, from back in the day when my dad would take me as a kid. So, yeah, I wish I had. I I, I kept a bunch. I used to keep all the tickets and all the programs, uh, and somewhere along the the way, um, I ditched them. I don't know if it was when I moved out of my parents' house or when I got married. Just at some point, I just decided, you know what? I don't need to keep this, and I regret it so much. I have um, right here. I oh, have yeah. my. This is the. It's called. It was Star Wars '85. It's February 1985. It was the first ever pro wrestling USA show at the Meadowlands. And I've kept the program, obviously, throughout the years, but I've also had a lot of people sign it. So, you know, Ric Flair has autographed that this for me. Sergeant Slaughter autographed this for me. Greg Gagne, which I got in Albany. Uh, Jiminy uh, Boogie Woogie Man Valiant signed it for me. Um, Nikita Koloff has signed it for me. And then Gary Michael Capetta, who is the ring announcer that night, signed it for me. So... You know, it's one of my uh, prized possessions. But yeah, I, I try, I tried as hard as I could to keep all my pro wrestling memorabilia as hard as that is as a kid to keep things without destroying it. I, I did my best to keep certain things because I knew that it would be valuable to me later in life. I think you brought that. The one, I know this the people can't see this, but the program that you're talking about that you that you showed me there. You had that with you at the Hall of Fame. I remember you I showing I that around. I, I brought it to, and the reason I brought it with me is I knew Greg Gagne would be there. Okay. So I wanted to get, I wanted to get Greg Gagne uh, to sign it for me. So, um, so yeah, those, th those are the things that are special as a fan. And Brian, at the end of the day, you know, whether I'm complaining about AEW officiating <laughs> or, at the end of the day, like we're all just fans, like we're all, you know, lovers of pro wrestling. We all watch, even if we could be critical about it, you know, as long as we're, you know, we're watching the product and supporting the product. And that at the end of the day, we're all part of the same community, you and me, Brian, everybody. So we, I try as best as I can to use my platform to promote other people's platforms because we're all part of the same community. That's which is great to hear because I think that gets lost sometimes. And I don't know why it's almost like there's this attitude that if you love something and enjoy something, you can't ever be critical of it, which is so weird. Like you can't, you're not, you know, everyone just says, well, just shut up and enjoy it. Just enjoy it. And it's like, you know, I criticize things from then and now, but just because, because I love it, because I want it to be better because I, you know, I'm really interested in it. 
I'm not just going to, and I get some fans don't want to do that and that's fine. But I think especially if you're somebody who really observes the inner workings of the business and you're interested in the behind the scenes stuff, you know, you have a different, I don't know, a different view. And I think people should be totally allowed to, you can critique things without, you know, making fun of the business, like an outsider, you know, trashing the business yes. is very different. Very different. It's there's two ways I look at it, Brian. And one is just like what you said. You could be a fan and be critical. I'm a football fan. If you talk to me on a Monday, what am I talking about? I'm not talking about the great play. I'm talking probably about a flag that the ref threw in the fourth quarter that cost, you know, uh, you know, it should have been a fourth down, but now it became a first down because there's some BS roughing the pass or call or something just because you're complaining about the referees or complaining about the quality of play of your team. That doesn't mean you're not going to be watching on Sunday. You're of course you're going to be watching every Sunday, but you could be critical because you're a fan. And one thing I argue about with, with some of my hosts, especially bully is like bully will talk about, Hey, the only perspective that matters to me is another wrestler. I know. Well, no, the fans' perspective should matter as well. And I mean that in a way that, like, he talked about, like, a Dave Meltzer five-star rating. Well, if Ric Flair gave a five-star rating, that means a heck of a lot more than a Dave Meltzer five-star rating. Again, the fans can have their perspective, too. Now, Ric Flair's going to have a perspective, and a wrestler's going to have a perspective, but I feel like that's going to be a little bit more tainted than a fan's perspective. Like, I think a fan's perspective, perspective is pure and fans are the paying product they buy the tickets they watch the shows they can be critical as well and i think their opinion matters just as much so i agree with you i think you could be critical to a point i i think some of the tribalism that's bad yes. for pro wrestling when you're picking one product over the other and hating on a particular product that to me is de detrimental to professional wrestling and that could hurt professional wrestling. But I think criticism of a product you're watching is okay. But don't you think that sometimes those two things get confused by people? Like people will call something tribalism. Like I, I'm against that too, because I, I get hit with it all the time. If God forbid, if I say something nice about WWE, all of a sudden they hate AEW. If I say, when I, I didn't even mention them, if I say something nice about AEW, vice versa. Yes. But, so, but sometimes people will take something that you say that that's critical and just assume that you're being tribal when if they actually followed you and listened to everything that you say and everything they would realize that you 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 aren't just on one side you you, you know you're just being critical of this particular thing listen i make no bones about it. first of all i like i like every company i'm i'm being completely honest here. i'm not just giving like a politically correct answer i enjoy wrestling I'm a big fan of AEW to the point where fans feel like because I'm such a fan of AEW that I'm on Tony Khan's payroll or, or I'm being paid by AEW. And I remind people like I have been a part of WWE programming. They've had me do pre-shows. I did the Cody documentary. Like I've done a lot for the WWE where they've compensated me for my work. I've never done anything for AEW. AEW has never given me a penny, but yet because of my fandom, I get accused of, you know, being on their payroll, which is completely ridiculous because it goes back to what you're saying, Brian, if I'm complimenting AEW, that means that doesn't mean I'm hating on the WWE. One has nothing to do with the other. It's just my opinion and what I feel like in that moment. And that's it. It's not because I watch AEW that I hate WWE or vice versa. To me, that just makes absolutely no sense at all. And don't you find, you know, as an older fan, as somebody that's been following wrestling for 40 years now and 35 for me, that something that used to be much more understood back then, whether it came down to wrestling magazines or radio shows or whatever, is that you could just be a fan of pro wrestling you don't have to be a fan. Like, I think we live in this marketing age where everything's about branding and marketing. And yes. Like, you have to love, if you love one thing, you hate the other. Like, I understand, yes, back then there were people that loved the WWF 
and they would crap on, you know, the other companies or, or pe- there were definitely people that loved the NWA and they hated the WWF because it was all this kiddie stuff and everything. But there was more of a sense of like, I'm a wrestling fan. I just want to watch wrestling. If it's good wrestling, I'm going to watch it. I'm not going to not watch it because it's not my brand. And I think yeah. that there, 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 when I talk to young people now, this idea of like just being a wrestling fan, it's like this weird concept. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Like, because I preferred the NWA over the WWF back in the day. Me but too. I remember like Hogan was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I was like, wow, that is so cool. That's amazing. Like, you know, I would still go to WWF shows and like, you know, go to the, you know, watch the WrestleMania three, you know, on closed circuit TV, even though I preferred NWA over the WWF, I still watch the WWF product. It's funny. It's something MVP said, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thumbnailing it. It's not the exact quote, but he's like, well, just because I say I like Coke doesn't mean that I hate Dr. Pepper. Like, why you know why because i'm praising a particular brand does that mean i'm hating on the other brand that's it like i'm i'm taking my time to praise something instead of taking my time to just completely knock something else and i feel like yeah i i I don't know what it is brian if it's just like the political nature of the world right now or the categorization or generalization of things now in the world but like it feels like everything is kind of branded and by taking one stance, you know, it's like you're hating on the other. And that's not the way I was brought up, Brian. I'm sure that's not the way you were brought up either. What was the one thing we were always told, you know, don't never talk about politics and never talk about religion because (laughs) when you talk about either one of those things, right. Yeah. You're going to alienate another group of people. So why would you want to alienate another group of people? Like, just stay away from those two taboo topics. Because if I have one political stance and you have another, Brian, there's nothing I'm going to say that's going to make you change your mind. It's the same thing with religion. If I'm one religion and you're another, there's nothing I can say that's going to make you change your religion. You're That's, that's who you are. That's what you... So I'm not even we're not, we're not even going to go there. We're not even going to have that discussion. But it feels like those are the those are the topics that everybody talks about now. And <laughs> well, I just yeah. feel like that's just custom made for conflict and for arguments. So let's keep that out of the equation. Well, it used to be, you know, common just common sense, like you said, it was. The, the thing that you always knew and would always be said, it was just common knowledge. Don't don't discuss politics and religion in company or in public, you know, because of the exact reason. And I think, yeah, that's lost now. And like you said, people, I guess because everybody has this public platform, so they feel like they got to talk about something. Um, they dwell on the exact things that, you know, we were always told not to talk about. And we've learned now why that was the the common maxim because you see now what happens when people do that but it but like you said it's taken over everything yeah our country's kind of fractured it's like one side or the other so like it's just it's just better to stay away from but i think i think it's that culture and that mindset brian that kind of seeped in to something that's supposed to be fun and entertaining like pro wrestling i just feel like that's kind of that conversation is seeped in where it's like if you like one, that means you hate the other. Like you can't, it's okay to like everything. There's no, there's no issue or problem with that. There's enough time during the course of the week to watch WWE, AEW. And, and Brian, if, 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 if you're an AEW fan and you hate the WWE, well then don't watch it. Like, just don't watch it. It's okay. You know, you know, uh, it's fine. But now it's like all about like hate watching and like I don't have time to hate watch anything. If I don't like a show or I don't like a movie, I am not going to waste my time watching it. But I feel like, again, that's part of the culture. And maybe even people argue that maybe the fun of it as well is picking a side and the the art of arguing about something that's just just not what I'm into. No, and it's not it's not fun. And I think. I sometimes think that a lot of this, especially where it just pertains to wrestling, at least, is partly due to the fact that 
WWE has been so good at branding and at creating, at marketing and creating this concept. Now you've got generations of fans, young fans, creating this concept of like, no, you are not a wrestling fan. You are a WWE fan. You know, they've gotten to the point where for a lot of people, you know, WWE is like Coke or you know it's like it's like q-tips right you you mentioned the brand the brand becomes indistinguishable with the product and so when you get generations of fans growing up thinking like okay we're branded to be fans of this company now they think like that's the only way you could follow wrestling is if you're there you're the fan of a brand you're not the fan of a wrestler or like i'm a big you know I'm, i'm a big bruno fan i'm a i'm a hulk fan i'm a flair fan now you're you're a fan of a company, and that's where we're at right now. You're a fan of a yeah, company. Yeah, and I feel like it's also that you have to understand that things evolve and things change. You know, I'm 52 years old, but I'd like to think I'd like to evolve and change. The wrestling I grew up on is not the wrestling that we're seeing right now. And right. you have to understand that things are going to change and that a younger audience is going to look at things completely different. That's the same in music and movies and everything else. Like... It's not going to just because it worked 25 years ago doesn't mean it's going to work now. So you have to have that mindset that, hey, things are going to change. Things are going to evolve. And it may not necessarily be the same thing that you fell in love with, because pro wrestling is the perfect example of that pro wrestling. When I fell in love with pro wrestling, it was perceived as real. They tried to make everything completely look genuine and credible. That's not the product now. Everybody knows it's predetermined. Everybody knows it's entertainment. So they take, they'll take some liberties knowing that the audience knows that. So the product is going to be different because they didn't take that liberties 35, 40 years ago because they wanted it to make it look as real as possible. They're not trying to live that gimmick anymore. That's in the past. So it's going to change. Yeah, no, absolutely it does. And I, I think sometimes the, the the other side of that is I sometimes think that they could learn more from the things that worked in the past and 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 adapt certain things and modernize certain things, which they do sometimes. They certainly do. But like for for example, and this is just a fan perception thing, it's not any fault of the companies. I always think it's so weird now when fans will flip out or or get furious when a wrestler jumps from one company to the other again that's the branding thing they're thinking like oh you're supposed to you're supposed to be loyal to this brand and i'm thinking like when i was a kid that was the stuff you waited for that was the most fun like oh my god kurt hennig's in the wwf wow look at this rick flair is coming to the wwf you know or 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 you know with the nwo stuff the outsiders in wcw i mean it was must-see television they, they weren't I, I don't remember people being like oh these wrestlers are disloyal to to their promotion i mean maybe i just wasn't tuned into it yeah i mean i i could see i could see both ends there is a a, a picture that i have of ricky steamboat holding a letter that i wrote him back in the mid 80s when he left the nwa to go to the wwf in 85 86 around that time period and i wrote him a letter because i was disappointed that he was leaving the NWA to go to the WWF because, you know, somebody that was now in their teens, the WWF was very cartoonish at that time. And the NWA was more like hard hitting, um, credible, realistic wrestling to me. So yeah. I was disappointed. And I, and I wrote a letter saying, man, I think you'd be better suited. Now I look back at that and say, so ridiculous because obviously he left the WWF for a lot of big reasons that I understand now, which I didn't understand when I was younger, but I, but I think that's more about passion. But again, I didn't, I didn't bash him. I didn't say like, I'm never going to watch you again. I still watched the WWF product. I was just disappointed as a fan that he was leaving, but now it seems more like they take it so personal. Like yes. they wash their hands of this wrestler or they go out of their way to destroy this wrestler on social media or, or, and things like that. And it's just, that's ridiculous. And that's another big key in it too, Brian, is social media. Because who knows if there would have been social media during the Monday Night War or during the time of ECW, like what we would be 
reading and how people would be thinking. But now with social media, it's such a big part of what everybody does. And I think social media just always leans more towards the negative than the positive. Well, they treat it like a betrayal, like you said, or like they'll treat it. A lot of times you'll see it too when a a pro athlete leaves their hometown to go to another team, to go to another town. And that is something that I think even back in the day, people would complain about because you feel like your hero is leaving you and all he cares about is the money, blah, blah, blah. But I think with wrestling, for the if you were a fan back then when there were territories, let's say, for example, or even just even in the 80s where there was still like a handful of major groups floating around, you m- many fans understood, especially if you were a little more tuned in and you read the magazines and things, this is what wrestlers do to make a living. You can't stay in one place forever. Now, it's different now, obviously, but back then, especially, you got to move around. You got to stay fresh. You're getting stale somewhere, you go somewhere else. So there was this understanding, like, whereas now, let's say post WCW, where there really was nowhere to go, now you get the phenomenon of Randy Orton being in WWE for 20 years or, you know, uh, John Cena, people who spend a lifetime and a career in one company. You never used to see that. Well, I think now you're you're talking about an almost 20-year period where... right. There was no WCW, and then we didn't see anything that was remotely uh, successful to the way of AEW since then. So AEW comes in and starts, you know, being in arenas, and we we didn't get that since the decline of WCW, where wrestling was in in at least especially in the states in in arenas that held ten fifteen thousand people. That's just a that was just unheard of. So I think for a, an entire generation or two. They grew up with the notion that the WWE is the big leagues. Their WWE is the major leagues and everything else is the minor leagues. Well, you kind of have to lose that mindset now because it's, it's the WWE is the biggest company in the world. There's no doubt, but I don't think anybody that wrestles in AEW has the mindset that they're wrestling in the minor leagues or in new Japan, or, you know, even with impact wrestling, that this is the minor leagues. I think that mindset has to change because it's just not that way anymore. Now, you brought up something before that I wanted to get back to because, you know, we grew up in the same region and, you know, I was a fan in the 80s and I remember the NWA you know, being the competition and all that. Maybe you can confirm this for me. For fans in, in this part of the country where it was all about the WWF, that was like our territory, even way even before the expansion, it was the WWF. I felt like in that mid-late 80s era that the NWA stuff, Crockett, WCW, whatever it was, was um, was like the cool – a lot of fans looked at it here as the cool alternative. It was like to us – I mean, in the South, it was different because that was their bread and butter. But like for us, it was like this punk rock underground, like, oh, did you hear about – you know, they bleed over there and like they, they have these – you know they they don't have wrestlers that are like cartoons and and there would be that whispered thing like i think it's real over there i think the wwf is fake but this stuff might be real there was this undercurrent of that in in this part of the country yeah i mean for me i grew up believe it or not watching nwa like the first wrestling i ever watched was nwa and it was um you know 1982 and i was by my buddy's house And he was watching Georgia championship wrestling. And I said to him, he goes, he asked me, he goes, do you watch wrestling? And I I said, no, isn't, I said, isn't that fake? Mm -hmm. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, you're thinking of the WWF. That's fake. This is the NWA. This is real. And, um, and I didn't know any better. You know, I'm, I'm uh, 11 years old, 10 years. I think I was 10 years old at that time. And he was like, I was like, okay, so the NWA is real. And the w- so I, I went a full year of just watching Georgia Championship Wrestling on WTBS because in my head, this was real and everything else was fake. So it's funny that once I started understanding what wrestling was and knowing that it was predetermined, the NWA to me still tried to hold up that facade of, like you said, the bleeding and 
you know, you know, fighting for titles and everything else. And then the WWF kind of just went totally on the other side of making their product more childlike and more comic book like and, you know, with over the top characters and things like that. So I always gravitated more towards the NWA because I always just felt it was just more real and more credible. So and I can understand what you're saying, because, yes, most people you would talk to from our area grew up watching the WWF because that was the only thing you could see. But I had cable TV at a very young age, so I was able to watch a lot of the other territory stuff uh, because I had cable TV. Yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't get cable till the 90s. That was another thing I missed out on. So, like, you know, by the time I got TBS, it was already WCW Saturday night. Like, you know what I mean? It was all that stuff was done. But um, there was I just remember, like, if if you were a fan, then that was at least the more tuned in fans. That was the cool wrestling. But it it went beyond the, the real and fake beyond that, because I think even as you start to get a little older, you're a teenager and you you go, OK, yeah, I could see even this stuff isn't, you know, this isn't I could see things that let me know, OK, this is also a work, even though we wouldn't have called it that, that it was clearly geared towards an older audience. And that made it cooler, too, where you could clearly tell, especially because you started watching the WWF in 83, where it was more adult and yes. you see it become more juvenile like the with the nwa that that never happened like one thing that i always noticed and it always made a difference to me as a kid was the nwa wrestlers talked about money they talked about making money i'm wrestling like that would be part of their promos flair god knows like i want to make money i i i want to you know win matches win titles i'm trying to like get rich doing this whereas in the wwf it was like they were more in this fantasy land like the angles weren't really rooted in reality as much. They didn't give you the idea that the, this is their job. You know, they were more like action heroes in a cartoon or a movie rather than professional athletes. A hundred percent. And, and, and as I got older, obviously that's why I strayed a lot more from the WWF product to even more so with the NWA because of, because of that, what you're saying right now, um, Terry Taylor, who would challenge Flair from Mid-South and then later the UWF, he was Terry Taylor. He was a man that was trying to capture the NWA championship. But in the WWF, he was the Red Rooster. Um, Kerry Von Erich from the Von Erich family, trying to hold up his family's legacy, wanting to get into the ring and win the NWA championship. Terry Von Erich, the man. When he went to WWF, he was the Texas Tornado. And that's how he, you know, Barry Windham, you know, becoming the Widowmaker in the WWF. Like, you're right. You had to have a character or a moniker in the WWF. You didn't need that in the NWA. You were, like you said, you were just a wrestler that was trying to get up the rankings to be able to face the champion. And that doesn't mean it was boring or anything because they had gimmicks, they had personas and things. Yeah, of it wasn't it wasn't just like you're watching, you know, just the Olympics or something, but it was you could it was just grittier and and the things they were doing were more grounded in reality. Yes, it got ridiculous. And yes, as you get older, you look back on it now. Sometimes I'll look back on it and I'll go like wow, I can't believe I thought that this was the real stuff. And, and that's not to knock it or anything, but you can see that it's pro wrestling, you know, but there was something about it that just seemed to be tied to the real world than the yeah, and Brian, all you had to do is look at the audience. Yes. Like if you go back and watch like, you know, Starcade 83 or some of those earlier shows, look at the audience, look who's in the audience, you know, watch world-class championship wrestling, who's in the audience and then watch the WWE, WWF product and who was in the audience. Like in the NWA, it was adults. It was a lot of older people, very few children. In the WWF, it was almost all children and their parents. So it was just a completely different dynamic. And obviously, Vince McMahon was a genius tapping into like, hey, if we get the children, then we're going to get the parents too. And uh, they just had a completely different marketing strategy, which obviously worked. But for my time and place, it didn't. Yeah. And and again, that's like you said, nothing to take away from it from a business standpoint. 
from a business standpoint, you can't argue with it. It's like I always like to say, you have to separate what you personally enjoy from what is best for the business from a business standpoint, especially that also comes from working inside of it, working for WWE. Like that would be a common refrain when we would talk about it in the office. Cause I was in the publications department where we had a lot of fans and people that had been fans and we would watch the product and we would all kind of go like, ah, this, uh, this kind of sucks. Like, I don't really like where this is going, but how can we argue with it? The ratings are through the roof. People love it. It's not my cup of tea, but sometimes you kind of have to separate that, especially if you're in the business or on the fringes of it. You have to understand it's not just about your personal taste. Yeah, I remember and and going back a little for just a second to the world of the NFL. I remember uh, hearing Bill Parcells in an interview talk about Jerry Jones when he, in his time when he was with the Cowboys, and Bill Parcells was just focused on the football. And he hated the fact that they would have their training camp in California as opposed to Texas. He's like, man, if we have it in Texas, they're closer to their home. We could get more done. Like, why are we traveling to California for training camp? And Jerry Jones explained to him, well, because we would get more fans from California to go to the training camp because they don't normally get to see the Cowboys. We're going to we're going to get more fans in California. So even when we leave. They're going to stay cowboy fans. We could get different sponsorships. We can get, you know, Pepsi to sponsor it. And it just makes more money for the Dallas Cowboys. And Bill Parcells wasn't looking at it in, in that, in those terms, he was looking at it just for the football In our, in my line of thinking, I'm just thinking of the wrestling. I'm not thinking about how much bigger it can make the world of wrestling. Plus Brian, as you know, if you get them while they're kids, then they're going to be fans for life. Like once you have wrestling in your blood, you're going to stay a fan. And I feel like that's really kind of a big reason why we have so many fans now. A lot of fans hated that PG John Cena era, but those fans that grew up as kids in the PG John Cena era are now in their 20s and 30s that are still watching the pro wrestling product and getting their kids to watch pro wrestling. So it's, it was a genius strategy. Yeah. You absolutely have to figure out ways to get people into it and, and get people into it from a young age. I mean, that's gotta be part of the business plan, no matter what it is, but I think it's interesting. And I don't know if you remember this, but like when the WWF product started to change and actually one of the other Arcadian Vanguard shows, we have John McAdams show stick to wrestling. He talks about this sometimes they, did you find that they were in favor of getting that national audience, right. And getting all those kids watching people who'd never watched wrestling or WWF before, were they alienating some of those hardcore Northeast WWF fans? Cause I feel like the audience changed. If you watch, like I watch the old MSG cards and things on the network. You can watch shows from the 70s and early 80s. Once you get to that Hogan era, you could just tell it's a different crowd. There's different people. There's different kinds of fans there than there used to be there. Absolutely. And I think it's a resounding yes. And I think that's a big reason why when WCW had their, like if you go to WCW in the early, the late 80s, not so much late 80s, but the early 90s, they were almost like WWE light. They were trying to like capture some of what the WWF was doing. And it was extremely unsuccessful. Once Eric Bischoff came in and made that more of an adult oriented product, a lot of those fans that felt alienated by the WWF turn then started watching WCW. And obviously WCW for a while captured the majority of the pro wrestling audience. And I think that happened with AEW early on. I think there was a lot of disgruntled WWE fans that were tired of the PG product, tired of the over-the-top characters. So AEW comes in and they're the cool kids that are there now. And then they started watching AEW or watching more independent wrestling or watching New Japan. Right. And and I think that you can really, you know, that's an important piece of goodwill that it's it's good to build on because wrestling fans, when they get bitter or they get dejected, 
a lot of times they they still want to love wrestling. They want to find something to love. Like people talked for years about Meltzer talks about this all the time. When WCW went under, you basically had millions of people that used to watch wrestling that just stopped watching wrestling. Yes. You know, many of them, maybe, maybe some of them went to, you know, strictly watch WWE, but many of them were just like, I'm done with wrestling. And I think AEW, especially I want to say when it first started, when Cody was there, because I think Cody being his dad's son and all that, there was this sense of like, let's go for some of those laps, WCW fans. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And just being the genius that is being Cody Rhodes and learning from his dad, just being creative and coming up with angles and stories and matches and cards that he knew would attract pro wrestling fans. But that also kind of stemmed from Ring of Honor getting bigger, New Japan getting some recognition here in the States. I think you take all that together, because if you go back to 2017, 2018, um, really, I thought the hottest thing in pro wrestling was the Bullet Club. And that really came from Ring of Honor and New Japan. So that was, I think AEW kind of came from the rise of the independence and from ring of honor and from new Japan, which at, at a time was, it wasn't bigger than the WWE, but it was much cooler than the WWE. The one thing about the WWE is other than the attitude there, the WWE, I, I would never say it was a product that was very cool. It wasn't cool in the eighties, wasn't cool for a good portion in the nineties and then beyond. Um, but new Japan and ring of honor, made pro wrestling cool again yeah because it was the mainstream brand it's very hard for the mainstream brand that casual fans love of anything to be considered the cool thing it's not going to be considered the edgy thing like i think you know when wrestling was more underground in general even the wwf had that more of a cool thing to it like going to the garden and in that era like it had a certain edge to it you know like you'd see blondie going there and andy kaufman and other celebrities and things because it was like this weird freak show but when something becomes too mainstream then it's right it's not cool anymore you know now it's like oh yeah everybody watches that now it's like when you're when your favorite band you know sells out quote unquote and now they have the number one hit now all of a sudden you can't be their fan anymore you know yeah and i think there's a lot of that and i also think that aew is kind of going through some of these struggles as well because when it was ring of honor when it was new japan it wasn't about watching a weekly product it was going to their shows so or catching wrestle kingdom so you would have these fantasy matchups that were like wow i can't believe this or you had a bullet club story that wasn't an, a weekly story, but you caught up for it maybe every month when you would go and see a Ring of Honor show or an independent wrestling show. But when you have a weekly product, Brian, it's very, very hard to rely on fantasy booking or a cool matchup because now you have to write for a, a weekly show. And that's very, very difficult to do. And I think that's something that AEW is struggling with right now because now you have to... Now there needs to be story and emotional involvement in these matches that you're putting up. It can't just be about the match. You have to, there has to be a reason behind this match taking place. Which WWE and WWF, you know, was always good at doing even before, but even before the era of where it was attitude era weekly, you know, weekly crazy crash TV, when things moved a lot slower, um, even in that era, they were still thinking of house shows. Like we need to create these storylines because we're going to put these guys on the road and they're going to go to everybody's town. And we want to make sure people are invested in seeing this match and understand why these two guys hate each other. You know, it, like AEW, obviously they don't do house shows. They don't. So everything has got to be focused on that weekly television. And that is a challenge. Like you said, if it has to be more, at least in the long term, it's got to be more than just. Hey, this is look at the, these two guys are going to wrestle each other. Wow, that's going to—they're two great wrestlers. That's going to be a great match. You need more than that if you want to get a larger audience. Yeah, because there was a match uh, a couple weeks back in AEW with Andrade and Brian Danielson, which was the match was phenomenal. It was lights out. But why did this match take place? What was the ramifications of this match? What's the story leading into this match? And now that this match is taking place, what's the story 
coming out of it. Well, there wasn't any of those things. It was just that match that was taking place that night. You need to have a little bit more of it. I'll use another example, which I thought was one of my favorite matches of the year. And that's uh, something that happened on AEW Collision with MJF and Kenny Omega. There was a small story between those two about, hey, MJF was about to get the longest AEW World Championship title reign, which was held by Kenny Omega. Now they're going to face in the ring. This is Kenny Omega's way of stopping MJF from being the longest running AEW world champion. And they touched on it a little bit. Why not make that a bigger story? That should be dominating your TV. Instead, he was having a side story with Jay White and, and Juice Robinson, to me, which was not nearly as important than the story that they only they only brushed on in a small way with Kenny Omega. But Brian, think about how big that match would have been if for weeks you had promos back and forth between Kenny Omega and MJF saying, you know, I'm the I'm the, the greatest AEW world champion. Here's why, because of this title, I've held it. And then MJF going back and I'm, well, you know, the clock is ticking on this title reign. You got two weeks left, one week left until we face off. And once we face off, then that record is gone and it's mine. They touched on it a little bit, but I feel like if you would have made that a much bigger deal, more people would have tuned into that matchup on AEW Collision. Yeah, I think they, they're sometimes guilty of um, expecting the fans to know more things. And I'm not saying the fans are dumb or whatever, but you've got to uh, you've got to lay it out. You've got to make people care, tell the story. You can't pe- fans should not have to go online and do research to figure out like what's going on between the yeah. wrestlers. You know what I mean? And and Brian, you just said something that's probably that could be that could be the title of a book. Making people care. You have to make people care. Why do I care about this character? Why do I care about this match? Why do I care about this show? Well, you got to make them. I'll use another example, Brian. And that is Sting's announcement that he was retiring. Well, when when Sting made that announcement that he was retiring, right after he made that announcement, they went to another segment. Like, how do you do that? Like, this is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time that's retiring. You got to, you got to, that announcement's made. You have to have your commentators. You have to have the camera on your commentators talking about that for five minutes go to break, come back from break, and they're still talking about, oh, my God, you know, Sting is retiring and he's going to have his last match at Revolution. and Mar-. Like, that has got to be more than just the time that's spent on the microphone in the ring and then quickly going off to another segment. you got to let things breathe because if you, if your show and your commentators and your talent make it a big deal, then your fans are going to make it a big deal because you made them, like you said, care about that because you made such a big deal and told them that, yes, this is a significant moment and you need to care about it. Yep, absolutely. And and that's one of those examples, like I said, of where you could learn from the lessons of the past to kind of build what you're doing now, because that, you know, that's something that used to be common sense. But um, but Dave, I know I know you got stuff to do. You're a busy guy. You got a hard <laughs> out. So <laughs> I'm a busy guy too. Yeah, but, you uh, are, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, seriously, Brian. Thank you for having me. We got to do this again because we got to we 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 were kind of like had a lot to talk about with what's going on now. But I love to like just dive into the past moments and yeah, you know the 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 reasons why we love this great sport of wrestling. Absolutely. And we'll have to do more. You know, like I said, I, I know we have limited time and we could go for I could do this for hours with you. So we'll have to have like a follow up episode at some point. But I thank you for even taking the time to do this. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. There you have it, folks. My spirited conversation with Dave LaGreca of Busted Open Radio. Dave, thanks once again for taking time out of your busy recording schedule to visit us here at the humble old Shut Up and Wrestle podcast. And thank you guys for listening to the show. I hope you've been enjoying it. We've got a lot of other cool guests on the way. 
Next week is going to be an interesting turn off the beaten path, which I think you're going to enjoy quite a bit if you stick around and listen to it. Episode 98, we are going to have longtime fan and USA Network engineer Steve Dworkin as our guest. Steve has a very interesting story, as I've mentioned. Started out as a wrestling fan in the New York area back in the late 1950s as a kid going to the Sunnyside Gardens. Fast forward many years later, he's working at USA Network as an engineer, helping out, you guessed it, the WWF, and working on some of their TV broadcasts and promos and things like that. So he's got a very interesting perspective, and I got him to share that with me, and I will thereby be sharing it with you next week. So stick around. Lots of other good ones on the way. I've mentioned Jace Nakarado, a.k.a. J-Shark NATO of the Arcadian Vanguard family, will be making an appearance. I've got episode 100 on the way. I'll be revealing very soon what that is going to be. As well, I've got a couple of other big names in the works that I don't want to mention just yet until I'm sure that it's solidified and written in stone and certainly happening. And then you fine folks will be the first to know. So where can you find our show? SUAWpod.com is the website. You can also go wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict. You know where to go. Also find us at the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. If you're interested in supporting the show, in making a contribution to the show, on my Twitter account at Brian R. Solomon, you will find a link at the top of my page to contribute via Venmo or Cash App. And if you wish to use PayPal, you can find me at Brian R. Solomon at Yahoo.com. Again, just a way to maybe show your support for the show and the effort that goes into bringing you this vintage wrestling content each and every week. No pressure whatsoever. Some of the other projects that I work on, the Wrestling News, every single morning. Check it out at the wrestlingnews.com. Also at the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. You can subscribe as well to make sure you never miss a daily episode. My books, as I mentioned, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, and Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. And I've also got some signed copies, as some of you have been inquiring about. Any other interested parties, please do not hesitate to reach out to me at Solomon at yahoo.com. Those magazines that I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll reiterate. Pro Wrestling Illustrated at pwi-online.com. Inside the Ropes Magazine at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. And I want to thank a lot of you for the follows on both of those platforms. I do see you. You can also find me on Facebook. My author page on there is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author webpage out there on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world. He didn't exist. So long, wrestling fans. I need your